20th chapter of the book of Acts uh, this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 20. I want to read this morning beginning in verse number 17. For a few moments this morning, I'll speak to us on this subject. The powerful impact of a godly life. The powerful impact of a godly life. Acts chapter 20. We'll begin to read in verse number 17. I invite you to stand with me this morning, those that are able in honor and reverence to the reading of God's holy word. We're in Acts chapter 20, begin to read in verse 17. The Bible says these words, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves... Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities, and for those who were with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is blessed to give more than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Now listen to this. And then they all wept freely, and they fell on Paul's neck, and they kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke and that they would see his face no more. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us uh, today and encourage us. And Father, I pray you'll challenge our lives today as believers. You'll really speak to our hearts, and we'll, we'll do inventory. God, are we having this kind of impact on others' lives, like the Apostle Paul had on the lives of these believers in Ephesus? Are we allowing you to use us to really make that kind of spiritual impact that moves people in that way. God, I pray where, where these marks are not on our lives, you'll show us with all humility and with a contrite heart today, we'll humble ourselves. And God, allow you to continue to shape and to build us. You're the potter. We're the clay. And God, I pray that we'll resubmit to that today. Father, we do pray if there's one among us who's never turned and trusted you to be Lord of their life. God, they've never been saved from their sins. We pray that they would do that uh, today. God, I simply pray now that whatever the devil would use to cause us to miss out on your, your best, Lord, that you would strip that away and you'd help us to focus on you and to focus on your word and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us today and invites us into your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'll invite you to be seated. As we move into Acts chapter 20, we see uh, the Apostle Paul really begin to move forward um, in his third missionary journey. The third missionary journey of uh, the Apostle Paul um, is where he begins to go back to look at the different churches that the Lord established during his first 
two missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 17, verse 38, it records Paul's last words to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Paul certainly faced some hardships and some challenges at Ephesus along the way because ministry is like that. Uh, there's, you're, you're dealing with people. It's, it's a family. Churches are a family. And every family has conflict and has strife. No family is immune from that. But this was a church that loved the Lord. Don't miss this. They loved the Lord, and they loved His Word. And so when those two things are evident, that's a church that can grow and can be used of God in Great Commission work. And Paul gave three years of his life there as he lived on mission, reaching, uh, trying to share the gospel with those who had never been saved, to Jew and Gentile alike, teaching those that trusted Christ doctrine uh, so that they could serve God and know God in a deeper way, and encouraging them along the way. But, but something is before Paul. Paul has a destiny, and it's to go to Rome, to stand and to give a defense of the gospel there in Rome. Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11, uh, the Lord speaks uh, his word to Paul to give him encouragement. The Bible says, But on the following night the Lord stood by him, by Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so Paul knew that this was before him. This was God's will for him. He had, he had to move on. He had, he had other ministry. He had things that had to be accomplished. Paul could have had a very comfortable, easy ministry if he would have continued on in Ephesus. But God had other plans for him. And he knew it. And this was a church that was broken-hearted about this. As reality sets in that they're never going to see Paul again, this side of heaven, I mean, they're overwhelmed. Uh, verses 37 and 38, again, of Acts chapter 20, said that they all wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck. They kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. They really knew that this side of heaven, they weren't going to see him again. And that really began to grip them. And it wasn't just because it was Paul don't miss this. It was because of the impact. You know, they didn't, they didn't think that Paul was some kind of rock star. You know, he didn't have a bunch of books down at the store and posters with a toothy grin. These people weren't followers of Paul. They were followers of Christ. But the Lord had used Paul to make an impact on their life. He was one of those Christians that's just, sadly, they're not, he's not, they're not the status quo. All funerals are sad within the life of a church. Every time a church member passes away, it's heartbreaking because of what the family's going through and because of the church family. But I will say this, friend. There are some losses that are more impactful than others because there are just some believers within the church. They have that kind of life like Paul. They allow the Lord to so use them that they make deep spiritual impact on one's lives. And when they're gone, there's no way to fill that void. Other people can come along, but that person, it, it, it won't be the same because that person won't be there that the Lord worked through. And this is what they begin to understand. But it all goes back to this point. Paul had a life and a commitment. He had a method, he had a message, and he, and he, had, he, had, a, he had a heart that, that moved Moved to, that was moved by God to really warn the people and challenge them about spiritual pitfalls. And because of that, it was a life that, that God worked through to make a profound impact on people's lives. Well, what was it about Paul's life and ministry that moved these people so? Well, number one, I want you to notice, first off, it was his practice. It was his, his practice, the way he lived his everyday life. It didn't matter what town he went to, what city. Uh, certainly, he would adapt to cultures and the way he spoke to people and he built relationships with people. He became all things to all people, not sinful. But Paul was the same everywhere that he went. Look what the Bible says in verse number 18 of Acts chapter 20. The Bible says, and when, and he says this is Paul's words, he says, and, and when he had come to them, when they had come to him, these, these, these elders from Ephesus, Paul says, and, and when, when they had come to him, he first said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia what manner... I always lived among you. Uh, it's just, and literally, this was his visible life. Paul didn't have a private life and a church life. And I've said many times, so the reason preachers have preachers' kids is because they live one way at the church and they live another way at home. The reason deacons have deacons' kids, you know, people try to be a little smart alecks and say, you know, they're, 
they're deacons' kids, or they're PKs, they're preachers' kids. It's, it's, it's because they live one way at church, but it's not evident at home. I want to remind you again, friend, kids aren't stupid. And, and they can see the difference if the words and the actions at the church house aren't lived out at home. They, they see it. And so again, friend, you, you can't ride the fence. You, you're, and, and other people are going to see that. And so these, these people, when Paul lived his life, they saw that he was the same in the marketplace, on vacation, when he worked, the same way that he was at the church. Friend, you're never going to have a life that makes impact on people. If you're singing karaoke on Saturday night, you can eat crackers in my bed anytime, and then on Sunday morning, how great thou art. It doesn't line up. Fresh water and salt water can't come out of the same mouth. And so a lost and dying world, they see these things. They notice these things. And these people saw, man, Paul is the same all the time. He says, you, you know what, what manner of life I always lived among you. His, his visible life, he said, it was the same all the time. Verse 19 says, serving the Lord with all humility. Uh, with, with tears and, and through the trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. He says, I came to serve the Lord. I heard a pastor say, you know, well, I serve my local church. Friend, I want to remind you, friend, what we do is not for each other. We, do, we serve the Lord, and therefore he works through us and meets other people's needs. And I promise you, friend, if you're serving people, people are going to hurt your feelings, and then you're going to quit serving. If you're serving for people's approval and serving to get a pat on the back from everybody and for everybody to be pleased, you'll stop at some point. But when you're serving Jesus, friend, he'll never let you down. He'll never fail you. And so what we do, we do for the Lord, and then he does for others through us. And so Paul says, that the ministry that I did, he says, you know how I did this. I served the Lord, but, but look at this mark. He says, with humility. It wasn't about me. Paul wasn't always trying to get his way. He didn't have to be the loudest person. He wasn't trying to get everybody to look at him. He didn't have one of these persons. He wasn't needy. Paul was always last. For the apostle, after he got saved, everything else, friend, was icing on the cake. And so it was Jesus first, others second, and Paul last. He said, I served with humility. And people, people noticed this. He said, I serve the Lord with all humility and with many, with many tears. And there were many reasons for that. For joy, to see someone saved, to see a family that was broken be healed through the gospel, to see lives that were shattered and broken made whole again by the saving grace of Jesus. But tears of heartache, just through trials and hardship that brothers and sisters in Christ go through. Tears of heartache because people won't be saved. Because people won't get all in. They just ride the fence. Tears of heartbreak uh, because of the world scene and its impact. Tears from pleading. Tears of brokenness because Paul never got over hell. He never got over what, what happened to Stephen. He never got over who he was before he, he came to Christ. And all of those things moved him. And he, he served with brokenness, with many tears. He says, in the trials which happened to me, by the plotting of, of the Jews. He, he was broken over all those things. Verse number 31 of our text says, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. See, ministry for Paul wasn't personal. Again, it wasn't about him. He knew that he was an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he really recognized the reality, friend, of what the seriousness of ministry, that if people die without trusting Christ, they go to hell. It's not just, well, you know, it'd be good for somebody to join the church. That's a good thing. People need to join the church. It wasn't about joining the church. Paul realized the life and death seriousness of what he was doing. If people don't get saved, they're going to burn in hell for all eternity. Paul never, he never became apathetic or indifferent or hardened to that. And so he warned people. And disciples of Christ that were just kind of, eh, just the, meh. And we see in Revelation chapter 2, as the letters begin to the first church, this was a church that, that they stood strong. They're going to they're gonna heed Paul's plea. They're going to stand up against doctor, false doctrine, 
false teachers. But one thing the Lord had against them was this. They lost their first love. Paul warned us, says, you better let him that stand take heed lest he fall. He says, I'm going to tell that to the church at Corinth. He says, and you better, you better be serious about reading your Bibles. You better be serious about spending time with God's Word. Because your life and your walk with Christ it will rise no further than the time that you spend alone with God on your knees and in His Word. Paul says, I, I warned you for three years with tears over all these things. He says, you know the life that I lived among you with the trials that I faced. And Paul had a bunch of them. He says, and the impact that it can have. When Paul would later write to the church, Ephesians chapter 6, he spoke of, of these challenges. But, but really, it wasn't the people. He says, now, it was the plotting of the Jews. But Paul realized, friend, that it wasn't these individuals. It was the devil that was working through them. And I want to encourage you this, friend. You're never going to have spiritual victory in your life until you fight the real enemy. You know, we're so prone to, well, you know, this person at work's driving me nuts, or this family member, you know, they're just, they're against me, or I've, you know, all these, all these leaders, you know, all these, this news I'm watching from, all these political leaders, they're just driving me nuts. And it's, it's, it's not the people, it's the devil working through them. And you've got to fight the real enemy. And that's why Paul would write the church at Ephesus later, and he would tell them to put on the whole armor of God that they may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He's saying it's not the Jews who aren't, who aren't believing. It's not the people who are stirring up the trials and the hardships. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul says, so as we serve we're going to have trials. We're going to have hardships. There's going to be adversity. And not only that, he says, cheer up, because even greater trials await. Look at verse number 22. He says, and see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Paul says, I face trials here, but I know if I keep serving Jesus, I'm going to keep facing trials. Why? Because, friend, listen, sadly, the devil is more committed to his great commission than the church is to the one the Lord left us. There's never a day, friend, that the devil's going to take off. He is committed to stealing, killing, and destroying. He is wholly committed to moving about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the reason so many Christians live in utter defeat is because they're not as serious as he is. You say, well, I can stand against the devil you can't do a thing, friend. I've got news for you. You may be strong, but you're not stronger than the devil. But greater is he that lives within us than he that's within the world. It's only through Christ that you can have spiritual victory. And Paul was trying to encourage them in that, but also to be real. You know, and all the, all the church growth experts that say, you know, don't, we need to have, share positive messages. That's what keeps people coming back. Well, Paul would have failed in that because Paul kept it real. He told people what they needed to hear. He says, if you keep serving the Lord, you're going to have trials and hardship. There's going to be adversity, but there's a better day that's coming. But notice his commitment. We're, we're looking at the manner in which he lived. He says, but, but none, verse 24 says, but none of these things move me. Paul says, none of these things make me, are, are going to move me to quit. I'm not going to let up. He says, no matter what the devil throws at me, in Christ's strength, to the church of Philippi, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. What motivated Paul was this, friend. Look at your Bibles. He says, I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was committed, and this church at Ephesus, they recognized that. They saw the... It wasn't word only. You know, Paul wasn't a, a, me, a me too dog. Most of you probably know what a me too dog... Let me tell you what a me too dog is. All right? A me too dog is a bear dog that won't run. It won't strike out on its own. It stands around at your feet looking for a handout. And then when all the other dogs treat, it takes off and joins in and starts barking. That's what a me too dog. There's a lot of Christians that are that way. They've got a lot of bark, but no bite. 
And so Paul wasn't like that. And they saw it. They, 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 they noticed the lived-out commitment that he had to the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, I don't care. If I, if, if I live, I get to keep serving Jesus. If I die, I get to be in his presence. And that's how he lived his life every single day. And don't miss this. It impacted people. There was something different about Paul's life, the way he, he lived it out that the Lord used it to make a deep impact on other disciples. He said, I want to finish strong. Why were they weeping? Why did, why did the church begin to cry? Why did all of those, why the, all those elders, those leaders, and, and again, don't miss this part. These were people who loved the Lord and they loved His Word. Don't, don't miss that. Why were they weeping at the thought that they would never see Paul again? It was because of the practice of his ministry. Second, notice his preaching. We've seen his practice, but notice his preaching ministry. You know, Paul, Paul didn't change anyone's life. He made an impact on people's lives. The Lord worked through him to make an impact, but Paul didn't change anyone's life. The Word of God did. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Listen, sanctifying faith, that is, being set apart every day to look more like Christ and less like yourself, it takes place through, again, through, through the Word. It's the ministry of the Word. Well, notice how Paul describes his preaching ministry. Verse 20, he says, remember how I kept nothing back, verse 20, nothing back that was helpful. There, there weren't any parts of Scripture, Paul says, that I wouldn't preach. He says, I gave it all to you. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, taught it publicly, and from house to house. Paul says it wasn't just at church. He said it was when I was making tents, when I was in casual conversation, in house settings. He said we, we gave people the Word of God. We absolutely preached it all. And, and I find it so interesting and encouraging that to a young pastor who'd end up taking over this church and leading it in Ephesus, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, these are Paul's last words. And don't forget that as Paul is sharing these words, now don't miss this, he's about to have his head separated from the rest of his body. This is in 2 Timothy 4. Paul's about to die. And it's not because of any other reason except for the preaching ministry that he had had for all those years. He boldly stood and preached Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. And that stirred the Jews up absolutely crazy. And so he's now in Rome, and he's about to die. But listen to what he says to young Timothy, who's there in Ephesus. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the, his appearing and his kingdom. He's telling Timothy again, hey, look, Tim, you're going to give an account to God one day for the calling on your life. He says, you're going to stand and answer to God. What does he tell him? Verse 2, preach the word. That word preach means to herald forth. He says to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. That was his encouragement. But listen, it wasn't just something that he said. Timothy could look back and see that Paul had lived it out. Everywhere that Paul had been, friend, he, had, he had preached the whole counsel of God's Word. Verse number 21 goes into more detail. He, he told the people how to be saved, what the Bible says. Look at verse 21 of Acts chapter 20. He says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Everybody. See, Paul saw everybody just like the evangelist Billy Sunday used to, to see everybody. Somebody asked the evangelist Billy Sunday, he says, why do, you, why, do you, why do you challenge everybody you talk to It's whether they've ever been saved? He says, because I see everybody with a big red L on their head, which stands for lost, until they convince me that they've been saved. See, Paul saw everybody the way God sees everybody. Not northerner, southerner, old, young, black, white, skinny, fat, bald, not bald, God sees people two ways, friend, saved and lost. That's how Paul saw people, saved and lost. 
And so Paul gave people what they needed so they could stop being lost and be saved by God's grace. He said, I testified to Jews and also to Greeks, everybody, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The two things someone has to do in order to be saved. The first is repentance. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And Paul says, I preach this. Repentance toward God. You have to confront sin. And listen, we're living in a day where church growth experts say, you know, don't, don't talk about sin. People don't want to hear about sin. Paul didn't care what people wanted to hear about. He gave people what they needed to hear. And people need to hear, friend, that all have sinned, and that includes them. People need to hear Romans 6, there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. And that you, the only way a person can experience God and His forgiveness is to turn from that sin to Christ, to concur, to confess, and then to change the direction. And so he, he, he said, I preach those things, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, that is to, to turn from the direction that one's going in their life to God. And then look what he says, in faith toward our Lord Jesus. He says to exercise faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote it this way. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto, the righteous, unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, what is one confessing? Again, go to verse 9. Confessing the Lord Jesus. He said, be Lord over me. Turning from sin, that's repentance. To Christ in saving faith, be Lord over my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. Be Lord in me. He says that's the message that he, he shared with people, with everyone, testifying to Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He told people what they needed to hear. But not only that, he told them how to grow and experience God's best. That's discipleship. He began to give them biblical doctrine that they could put into practice every day so that they could walk and they could grow. They could yield themselves to the Word. And God, through the process of sanctification, will begin to change them into the person that He wanted them to be. Verse number 25 of our text says, And indeed now I know that you all, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. He says, you're not going to see my face anymore. But he speaks of what he preached. He says, I, I, I've taught and I've preached to you the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Well, well what is the kingdom of God? What is it, what is it that he, he preached? He says, you know that I, I've gone, I'm preaching the kingdom of God. Well, when one gets saved, the Holy Spirit becomes resident. All right, help me out, church. But when one is fully surrendered to Christ's lordship, he is president. And that's the only way one can really grow and experience God's best, is to continue to grow in the Lord. He told them how to do that by preaching the kingdom of God. It's lordship. Friend, I want to remind you the words of our Lord. If, if, if Christ is not lord over everything, he's lord over nothing. Jesus, listen, friend, Jesus will never be second place in your life to anything. He's first or nothing. And so this idea of, well, you know, I'm still working out some of it, but he's mostly Lord, then he's not Lord at all. He's not Lord at all. Again, you know, that's like two people getting married, you know, and they're standing here, and, you know, the pastor's going through the vows. You know, do you promise to love her, cherish her, and, and forsaking all others, be true only unto her? Well, 95% of the time, yes. Who's going to sign up for that? But yet that's a mindset that so many people have toward lordship to Christ. You know, I'm going to live the life that I want to, but, but Jesus is going to be Lord. No, friend, lordship is you have no life. You have died. You have given yourself to Christ, and He lives the life He wants to through you. And Paul preached that. And he, he modeled that. And then he, he displayed the seriousness of, of ministry. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And that's why, why I marvel sometimes at the pettiness 
that people display towards some things in ministry. I mean, the things that some people really get their nose out of joint about. I mean, it really make them bitter and angry within the local church. And it's things that have nothing to do with the Great Commission whatsoever. Friend, I want to remind you, listen. Ministry is a serious thing. Failure, failure to share the gospel with someone that God's leading you to do that, God says you're going to have their blood on your hands. Look what the Bible says in verse number 26. Paul says, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Paul says, everybody in this community that God gave me the opportunity to witness to, he says, I did it. He says, when, when I had the chance to teach you doctrine, he said, I did it. I didn't come to win a popularity contest. I'm not here to get everybody to like me. He says, I've come to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And friend, listen, this isn't a message for a pastor's conference. This is a message for all people in the local church. All of us should have that mentality about ministry. Our ministry living on mission every day. I don't know where you go, where your sphere of influence is, where it is that your feet carry you every day in the will of God, or where the will of God is supposed to be carrying your feet. But to know this, friend, God's called you to live on mission. If there are people that God has placed in your path that you could witness to, and you haven't, their blood's on your hands if they die and go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. He said, I don't like that kind of talk. Well, probably people there didn't either, but Paul says, I gave you what you needed to hear. And I'm telling you, if you've been saved and you're not doing that, you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you'll give an account for that. And friend, again, I want to share with you, I believe this with all my heart based on the teachings of Scripture. The problem in our country, it's not because of any political party or because of any president, vice president, or congress. It's because the church has failed to live on mission and the church has blood on its hands. So I just don't like the direction America's gone. Then look at your hands. Because lost people are going to live like lost people. And what will change the direction of our country is the gospel. And Paul says, I can't speak for anyone else. He says, but I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Paul wasn't trying to pat himself on the back. He was trying to encourage them and to share with them again. He says, I'm about to leave you. He says, and some of you are going to be prone to drifting back into thinking that church is all about fellowships and song services, you know, and just sitting around and crying our eyes out, oh, woe is me. He says, but it's not. It's about reaching, teaching, and encouraging. It's serious. We're dealing with the eternal destiny of men and women's souls. It's about spiritual growth. And so he was trying to, to lay out for them that, that, that they needed to be mindful of that, to be very serious about it. It's a recognition of ministry's seriousness. Verse 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare again to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I gave you every single word. Friend, I want to submit to you that every day and throughout the week, you're going to come in contact with other people that are hurting they stand at crossroads in their life. They stand at crossroads of decision about sin. Sin they're already living in. Sin they're about to step into. And you know what's right and wrong from, from God's Word. And so often Christians won't speak to them and challenge about them because they're afraid of what that person's going to say or think about them. I've heard people tell me before, well, I, I, you know, I want to witness to them, but I'm afraid I'm gonna, I, that I might run them off. We're going to run them off to hell number two. They're already lost. There's nowhere else you can run them to. Well, I don't, I've got this family member that's living in sin, but I don't want to tell them what the Bible says about that sin because you know, I'm afraid how they're going to react. Well, good, just let them continue on in it. You really love them. Paul didn't care. He gave people what they needed. God help us in these days to, to give people the whole counsel of the Word of God as we have opportunity. It's not just the pastor, it's not just the Sunday school teacher, but it's when we have opportunity to sow the Word of God into someone's life, will we do it? Or will we be scared to death what someone's going to say? Oh, we'll jump on homosexuality. Yeah, but will you say the same to a man and woman that's shacked up out of wedlock? 
What about people that are just straddling the fence in uncommitment? You, will, will you challenge them? What about people that claim to name the name of Christ, but all they do is curse our president and our vice president and other leaders when the Bible says we're to pray for those, not to curse them? Will you challenge them? Paul says, I, it didn't matter. He says, I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. God build that kind of disciple in our church that lives that way, who without fear or favor will talk to people and challenge people and give them the Word of God. And not that I think, again, who cares what we think the Bible says? That has power. Paul says, I lived that kind of life in front. That was his preaching ministry. You say, well, God hasn't called me to preach. Oh, but he has. He may not call you to pastor, but my friend, you preach a message with your life every day and you have opportunity to preach with your lips. Not to prepare a sermon, not to stand at a pulpit, but my friend, it's the gospel that you preach every day with your life and your lips. He did. He sowed the word of God. Why was there sorrow over Paul's departure? Because he preached the whole counsel of God's word and he lived it out. And you wasn't scared. Paul was afraid of no one. And all he wanted was Jesus to be pleased. And can I remind you of this, friend? If you're trying to please everybody else, Jesus won't be pleased. Do you hear that? If you're trying to please everybody else, Jesus won't be pleased. But if you please Jesus, it really doesn't matter if everybody else is pleased. Because the right people will be. And so these people who love the Lord and they love these words, they recognize that all this was true and their heart's breaking that God's not going to be able to work through Paul's life in a personal way in theirs anymore. And they just start crying. They're brokenhearted. Third notice now, not only was there Paul's practice, his preaching, but what also moved them to tears was, was his plea. His plea. He's going, to, he's going to give them a closing plea, a warning. He's, he's calling them to be very serious. Even, even as he's leaving, he's still giving them instructions. It's like a, a, loving, a loving mom or a loving dad. You know, there's kids going off. Now don't, now don't forget, you know, put on clean underwear every day. You might be in an accident. Brush your teeth. Now, don't, don't forget. Now, now, now listen, if you, now you've, you've got that gas card. Now, if you don't, don't, quarter of a tank, you need to fill up. Don't talk, now listen, don't, don't talk to strangers unless you begin to know them and everything looks. All these closing instructions that a loving parent and grandparent gives, it's the same kind of heart that Paul had. He was about to depart. He loved these people so much, he was still giving them instruction. Look at the Bible says in verse number 28. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. A reminder again, friend, says, listen, you, you didn't choose these things. God placed these callings on your life. He says, you're God, God's called you this ministry. He says, He's made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. He says, the church belongs to Him. He says, you need to take heed. You need to be serious about some things. It's not a joke. It's not, what's Paul, man, what's he getting so hot under the collar about? He's, why is he overreacting about all this? Because it was serious. Look at verse 29. Paul says, I know after, the, after this, that after my departure, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, the devil's going to send in some people to tear the church apart. How would they do that? By having a mind different than the mind of Christ. To not be Jesus-focused, but to be me-focused. To turn the church into an organization rather than an, a living organism that Christ is the head of. To take the focus off of lost people and bring the focus inward on us. That ministry doesn't exist for others. The church exists for the most important person in the world. You know who that is? Me. So that's the kind of heart these people would have. It's me first, me second, and who cares about everybody else? Not Jesus first, others second, and me last. Paul said you need to be very careful because these types of people 
he said, are, are going to try to come into the church. I know after this, savage wolves. It's, it's the same mindset that when he wrote them the letter in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, you need to put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. These people that the devil is seeking to work through. John 10.10, 10, those that seek to steal, kill, and destroy the life, the impact, and the ministry of the church. He says, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be able here to say, well, wolf! 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 He said, you're going to have to do it for yourself. He said, you're going to have to grow and be mature to do that. He says, I'm telling you, take heed to do that. Verse 30, he says, also you need to understand that from among yourselves, not from outside, he said that from amongst yourselves, tares that have the devil's already sown into the church, they're just lying dormant. They're just kind of blending in. He says, tares, men from within inside the church, they're going to rise up and begin to speak perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. That's what happens. I'll tell you why so many churches are ineffective in the day in which we're living. They've turned in not to organisms that the head is Jesus Christ. They've turned in to little cliques where there's little mafias within the church that boss hogs and boss sows rule over. And people's allegiance is not to Jesus Christ, it's to the person that bought them off. And that's who they serve in the local church. All these different little factions. And this group's warring against this group, and this group wars against this group. People say, well, there was, this there was a split. No, Fred, there was always a split. The church was never unified in Christ. But when the church is unified in Christ, no one can split the church. Because it's one in Jesus. Paul says, you need to be aware that these types of people are there. And when it happens, you better have the guts and the spiritual fortitude to say, that's a wolf, get saved, get repented, or get gone. But no, what do we want to do? Well, Bridget, we don't want to hurt anybody. And we never want to run anybody off. Friend, listen. If the devil can use someone to destroy the life of the church, they need to get saved or they need to get gone. That's what Paul said. But why? Because it's serious. It's serious. Because the devil can use those people to take people's focus off of Christ, off of the Great Commission, and then when that happens, lost people die and go to hell and disciples aren't grown in Christ. That's the seriousness of it. He says, so you, you, need to take, you need to take heed. He says, verse 30, Also for amongst yourselves men are going to rise up speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. Any teaching, any teacher that glorifies the doctrine or the doctor more than Jesus Christ, it's of the devil. You be mindful of that. When people are like, oh, I just follow so-and-so. I just love this Bible teacher. Mm -mm. You better love Jesus. Thank God for that Bible teacher. Thank God for that pastor. But you better not be worshiping them. You're to worship Christ and Him alone. That's why you know, everybody's following the big ism today in churches. The big ism. Following the ism. It's got a man's name on it. No sir, no ma'am. Love Christ. Follow Christ. Study Christ. I bear somebody. Somebody's named it. Well, I'm a... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a this person. I'm just a follower of Christ. I'm not going to let some man's name mark my life. The only man's name that's going to mark my life is the one my daddy gave me. But I'm the new creature in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to identify myself with some Bible teacher years ago. Paul says, be, be, be wary of this. Stand against these things. Verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He said, I'm leaving you. You can withstand these attacks in him. He says, you can finish well. And he goes on to say, look, just so you know, I worked hard so that no one would think that I was uh, a false prophet. I was here just trying to make a dime off of you. He said, I want you to remember, too, how we helped people. Verse 35. And this is, very, this is very important, the day in which we live. He said, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak 
and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that he said, it is blessed more than to give than to receive. Listen to me. Paul always wanted to help people that couldn't help themselves. But Paul never helped people that could help themselves but were lazy and wanted to pretend they, that they couldn't help themselves. Say, so, well, how do you know that? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. He says, if you can work, but you're so lazy that you won't, then you're not going to eat. And I'm telling you, churches have been guilty, friend, of just equipping people to be professional beggars. We need to help people that can't help themselves. But there are a lot of people, friend, they live a pretty good life by going from church to church, just getting handouts. And if they'd put that same effort into a real job, who knows what they could do? We need to help people who can't help themselves. But we have an entire generation that's coming up in our country. They don't do anything but cash a check. And we just keep, we just keep footing the bill. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, a man that won't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. So we always need to help people that are in a pinch and can't help themselves. The church teaches benevolent ministry. The Bible teaches. Jesus says it's better blessed to give than to receive. We need to do that. We're going to keep doing that. But I'm telling you, one of the downfalls in our country that we see, it's spiritual. It's not political. When someone gets saved, grows in Christ, friend, they're going to use every part of their being that they can to, to, to scratch out a living for their family. They're going to do that because it's part of their testimony. And so Paul was, was warning them of that even then. But then notice what the Bible says in verse number 36. I love this. It says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. You can just see them just, just kneeling down praying together. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. Why? Because they loved this man. Why? Just because it was Paul? No, friend, it, it, was, it was because of the life that he lived. It, it was because of, of his preaching ministry. It was because of the plea. He cared enough to talk to them and, and to challenge them. I mean, and, and to, name, to name names. When Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the latter part in verse number 14 of chapter 4, Paul, listen to what Paul says. And don't forget, Timothy's pastor in the church at Ephesus. He said, hey, before I die, I need to remind you, Alexander the, carpus, car, the coppersmith, he did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Paul cared enough to say, hey, look, that guy Alexander, he's a snake in the grass. You need to watch him. Because he'll destroy the church. That's how much he cared about them. He'd even name names. But why? Because ministry's serious business. The people that loved the Lord and loved His Word, they took note of that. And when Paul was about to leave, they began to cry and they kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And then they accompanied down to the ship. And they set sail. And you can just see him standing there on the gangplank, just waving by and crying, saying, We love you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for what God did through you. We're going to keep after it here. There's a look at the impact that Paul had. You know, it causes me to pause, and I hope it'll cause you to pause this morning to say, you know, are these, are these marks a reality on my life? Am I so surrendered to Christ's lordship that God's making an impact on other people's lives like he did through Paul's? Among God-fearing, christ Friend, I want to remind you, listen, Everybody's always got a group that's going to like them. Okay? I'm saying among God-honoring, Christ-loving, loves His Word, right's right and wrong's wrong, people. Am I making that kind of impact on people's lives and in the day in which we're, we're living? And if not, what needs to change in my life? Do I really care about people like Paul did? Me last. Jesus first, others second, me last. Am I really willing to suffer greatly for the gospel like Paul and for the spiritual well-being of others? Am I doing it among the church, my community, amongst my family and amongst my friends? Let's bow our heads and close your eyes.
Father, I pray that in these days which are dark and difficult, uh, at this period of history of our country, God, I pray that you will use each of us the way you used Paul. I pray today, God, as we stand in just a few moments in this invitation, I pray if we're not usable, that you'll show us what's lacking, that you might use us like you worked through Paul. Paul was usable. I pray if we're not, you'll speak to us today. If there's unrepented sin, if there's areas of our life that are out of control of Jesus, if there's bitterness, there's hatred, anything at all, Lord, that you're not pleased with that would hinder your working through our lives the way you did Paul's, I pray we'll turn from that today. Experience your reviving touch. Father, I pray that you'll remind us that all of this started in Acts chapter 9 when Paul got saved. God, I pray even right now that if there's one here who's never had that same kind of experience like Paul did, where he repented of his sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of his life, I pray that person will do it now. Just like Paul, turning from sin and confessing Jesus to be Lord. God, I pray they'll do it right now in just a simple prayer of faith. They'll make it their own, but pray just like this. Oh God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. He rose again. I trust Christ to be Lord over every area of my life. Now God, I want to thank you for saving me. Take me now and make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. God, I want to be usable like Paul. Work through me the way you did him to make an eternal impact in the hearts and lives of others. That's my prayer. Let's reverently stand to our feet.